Welcome to Meltdown to Mastery, empowering women to overcome midlife crisis by rewiring the subconscious mind. Feeling overwhelmed, disillusioned, stuck? We all have. Here we explore inspiration and empowerment to navigate through the tough times and move to a place where hearts soar, minds manifest, and bodies heal. Welcome, everyone. Today we have Cheryl and Jeanette author of The Imposter Lies Within. She has advanced certification in integrative hypnotherapy, neurolinguistic programming, and cognitive behavioral neuroscience, strategy, and human performance improvement. Cheryl has dedicated herself to helping individuals overcome the debilitating effects of imposter syndrome. Welcome, Cheryl. Thank you so much. So good to be here. Yeah, and we were just saying how aligned we are. My education, I've always been interested in the unconscious mind and how it affects health and well-being and our future. So this is the main topic of my (laughs) podcast, but we're going to really delve into your way of looking at this as imposter syndrome and yeah, I just want you to tell us maybe what what is imposter syndrome? Maybe we'll start there and then it'll just unfold. Yeah, I think it's such an important place to start because there really are, you know, a lot, there's some confusion, some misconceptions about what imposter syndrome really is. So it's a psychological pattern where someone feels like they're not good enough in spite of their accomplishments. So despite evidence to the contrary. So actually, Jean, it's like a disconnect or a cognitive a cognitive dissonance, if you're familiar with that term, but there's a disconnect. So our actual experiences are there. We can see them. We can write down our degrees, our certifications, our accomplishments, and yet we feel disconnected from them. And it, we feel almost like a fraud, like we're just pulling the wool over everyone's eyes, and they're going to figure out that we're not as good as they thought we are. So so that's really the the best way, I think, to describe what imposter syndrome is, because it really leads to what it's not too. Right. So you still have that inner voice saying you're not good enough, you know, from the, from the depths. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't, it feel that way. It's like, where, where's this coming from? Yeah. I think we've all experienced it to some degree. You know, some people, it stops them from ever trying others achieve great things and it still exists. But um, yeah, so tell us more and how people, you know, you say there's seven archetypes for imposter syndrome. Would that be a great thing to go through or what's your thoughts? Well, you know, what I was just thinking, what kind of went through my mind um, is, you know, you said it seems like everyone has it. And I thought maybe we could talk about that for a quick moment first, if you don't mind. And I'd love to get into the archetypes, but you know, a lot of people think of doubt as being imposter syndrome or just, oh, am I good enough? Not not that proverbial, I am not good enough. I cannot do this. And sometimes that's true. I'm not good enough to be a brain surgeon. So you do not want me to do that for you. Um, but that, that, that not good enough, that self-doubt, am I good enough, even though you know, evidence to the contrary, you are good enough. That's the disconnect. So having a little bit of self-doubt, wondering, you know, when you're about to step up on stage, for example, to give a talk, and maybe you've given hundreds of talks before, or maybe it's your first time and just wondering, ooh, am I going to be good? Is it, am I going to be good enough? That little bit of self-doubt is natural in what I call the healthy zone. We all have doubt. It's wired into us. It's our discernment muscle. We should have doubt. A little bit of self-doubt isn't in and of itself imposter syndrome. You see, in the healthy zone, it's adaptive. It gives us a little bit of that tiny bit of fear that gives us a little bit of adrenaline so that we can focus and perform. So 
that's this whole concept I have of the healthy zone that that just having that isn't um isn't in and of itself. And so what I say is, you know, people think everyone has it or everyone has it at some point. And it's interesting because I live with a man who does not experience imposter syndrome. And, you know, my husband, he just, he's always been quietly confident. He's very, very accomplished. He doesn't brag. He's, he's not, you know, boisterous. He just, you know, he doesn't go out to tell you this is me and this is who I am. But if you ask him, he's just quietly confident. He gets a little bit of doubt like everyone does, but it never stops him. Mm-hmm. And he never actually questions his self-worth, if that makes sense. So it's something like, I don't know, it used to be 70%, but now it's gone up since the pandemic. So it's something like 85% of the population worldwide experiences imposter syndrome, that disconnect. So it's a lot, but there's still 15% if you think about it. That means it's not everyone. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I actually, I have a husband too, who (laughs) is very, very confident. And yeah, I've met, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. It's like, well, I know as naturopathic doctors, we go through a lot of education and, you know, your first few, first few years before you have, you know, really seen a lot of success in what you're doing, you often feel that you're an imposter, right? I've heard, I've heard others say it and I've, I've even thought it at, I remember at the beginning of my career. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting too, because that's one of the myths that people think that um, it's something that only beginners feel this idea, because we do have more doubt in the beginning. We don't have as much as experience. So we haven't really um, been doing it as long. So we need to be really clear, you know, we need to be careful that we're not mixing up just having normal beginner's doubt and those normal fears of not having the experience with imposter syndrome. Those are natural. Those are normal feelings. We've done this a lot. This is, you know, I'm still learning. There's a learning curve for everything and that's okay. We're not supposed to be masters overnight. Yeah. So where, where does the line get drawn where you are, you definitely are feeling imposter syndrome? I think, you know, you can start to see it in some of your behaviors, you know, things like perfectionism and people pleasing where Every time you're trying to get it even more perfect and you you need to do the same presentation or project, you know, I don't know if it, it should be three or seven iterations, you do 10 or 20 iterations, you feel like it's, and you still feel like it's not good enough. If the good enough word keeps coming up, that's a pretty good sign that, you know, there's a disconnect that maybe it is good enough. Maybe it doesn't need to be perfect. Maybe flawlessness isn't necessary to be good enough, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So perfectionism. So that's one of the archetypes. People pleasing. You know, we, we people please and we think, well, that's just me. The story is I'm just being a good person. I'm just a nice, nice person. But people pleasing goes way beyond being nice. We put ourselves last in our own life, you know, and we end up feeling resentful. And I say we, because this was one of my biggies, you know, with imposter syndrome and I did get past it, but I had trouble setting boundaries. But if you kept digging down, what was the root of that? What was the reason that I had trouble setting boundaries? I had a fear of rejection. I had a fear that people would think I wasn't good enough and let me go if I didn't do more for them or didn't do everything for them. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's like, that's, again, I think that's something many people, you know, struggle with. And 
it probably comes from childhood, doesn't it? Like just wanting your parents' yeah. approval. So if you never get that, then you're constantly seeking. Yeah. And you know, it's even if we did get our parents' approval, even if it's not really obvious to our conscious mind, remember we were little children, right? With young minds that wasn't weren't fully developed. I call them kind of squishy emotional brains <laughs> and minds with our own little personalities. And it's not so much the experiences that we had that formed our, it's not so much our beliefs, you know, it's not so much our beliefs, but it's what you said, Jane, it's the experiences and how we interpreted them. So maybe our parents really did give us a lot of approval, but our interpretation at the time was that they didn't, you know, for whatever reason at that age and that stage. So sometimes it's real and sometimes it's just us being human and the way we perceived a particular situation, a particular experience. So I do a lot of inner child work through hypnotherapy. It's it's really interesting because when you go back and you you really meet yourself where you were as a five-year-old or a six-year-old, you know, it's really interesting to see some of it is very real and there's real fear and they, that child was really abandoned and there's the really real serious adverse childhood experiences. And sometimes it's just the impression that, you know, um, I'll give you an example. I have a client who when she was five, her mom wanted her to learn to swim because they had a swimming pool in their backyard and she wanted to make sure she was safe. So she brought her to for swim lessons. She dropped her off and she left. And that child then got thrown into the cold water. So that the little girl, the five-year-old's interpretation was, mommy abandoned me with a stranger and threw me into cold water. And right. I was scared. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Versus mommy was watching out for me and she wanted me to be safe. And she went out and she got me these great lessons so that she could make sure I, you know, she was doing everything she could to make me safe. Just a different interpretation. The second one is adult, right? That's an adult interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And then there can be a fear of water, a fear of cold, <laughs> triggers all around that and the abandonment right and the abandonment is someone yeah. going to leave me now if i'm not good enough yeah or i don't do all these things right and then it becomes kind of a vicious cycle it's like a downward spiral because we end up doing things like you know we people please we overdo everything you know that superhero behavior at work Mm -hmm. We tend to overdo um, because we just feel like if we don't, deep inside, we don't even realize this consciously, but if we don't, they may think we're not good enough. And they may abandon us. Abandon, abandonment is big. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how do you help people realize what they're experiencing and, and then get through? past it or through it? Is it just seeing it? You know, that is a really, really good question. It's such an important question is, you know, I, I take people through a journey in my book and it's a four part journey. It's from awareness, just understanding what imposter syndrome really is and, and how it shows up to insight. Okay. Now that I know how it is on a grand scale, what does that mean for me? And what were my particular experiences? And how is this showing up for me? And then it's the alignment. Okay, now I realize where that disconnect is. How do I get that aligned? And then integration. Okay, now that I've gotten this aligned, how do I actually make this really become a habit? And so what you asked is really important because a lot of people get to that awareness and even to the insight phase, and then they're still lost. It's like, this is exactly what I'm experiencing, but what do I do? Mm -hmm. And so what I've come up with is a holistic, I know you're going to love this because we're both holistic practitioners, but it's a holistic approach um, to work from the inside out and the outside in. Because like we've discussed, so many of these behaviors, I have this whole thing called the mind stack in the book. 
And it shows, you know, our actions and our behaviors at the top and it keeps going down, right? And then it goes all the way down through self-talk and thoughts into beliefs and below beliefs. What we talked about is the experiences. So it's not so much even our beliefs, but which the belief might be, I'm not good enough, or I'm not worthy, or I'm not deserving, or my voice doesn't matter, or I don't matter, or all of them. You know, you might experience all of those. So those are beliefs, but where? I keep digging. Where did those beliefs come from? And they came from the experiences we had. And oftentimes, they're not even our beliefs. They're beliefs we picked up from someone else. Right. They were our parents' beliefs. Yeah. We saw, you know, our mom, my mom was a big people pleaser, always modeling that. My dad was a savior and a superhero, you know, so I see myself modeling that. So they weren't even my beliefs, but I took them on. So we, what, what I, my approach is to go inside out and outside in because when you go inside out, you're, reprogramming. It's almost like our mind is programmed. Those are the programs. If you think of it like a, like a computer, right? Mm -hmm. Like the software programming, right? There are Trojan horses in there and the programming is off and we can actually reset our beliefs. We can choose our beliefs. Imagine that, you know, I said this to my son, you know, he was, he was having some, some things I won't talk about specifically, but we got to, what do you believe about that? And then I said, well, what would you like to believe? And he told me what he'd like to believe. And I said, well, you can choose that. You can choose to just do this belief swapping. You know, and I have a whole process. I take people through that. But we can go in, we can find out. And a lot, again, a lot of that is from our childhood, where those beliefs came from, figure out what they are that are coming from that kind of deep, dark place right inside of us in our subconscious mind and shed light on it. And then we can say, okay, that wasn't true. Okay, I get that. What was true? Let's replace that. Or that was true, but I'm going to minimize the impact of that. I'm not going to let that rule my life. And I'm going to change my belief about that and use that experience for me. So we can make those changes, those choices, those belief swaps. So that's that's kind of a real high level. Um, and by the way, we need to do that with our thoughts, with our self-talk. And that becomes the pattern. So we reprogram, that's kind of at the belief state. But we also need to repattern because in our minds, and I don't know if you knew this, but I do have that um, cognitive behavioral neuroscience background as well. And if you think about your brain, our brain does so much on autopilot and there are actually um, pathways, they're called neural pathways in our brain. So our brain recognizes that we do certain something over and over and over. It will start to put it on autopilot for us. That becomes what our habits are or our patterns. It says, you're doing this over and over and over. I'm going to make it easier for you. I'm going to just create a habit or a pattern. You don't have to think about it as much. Well, we think about our actions as being those habits, but actually it's not just our actions. It's our behaviors. We know that that's easier to see, right? Because they're observable, but it's also our thoughts become patterned, our self-talk, that inner dialogue between you and you, and our beliefs, and all those become patterns. So it's not enough to just reprogram. We also need to repattern. Now, by the way, it's also not enough to repattern. We also need to reprogram. Because if you just repattern, but that deep belief is still there, what happens? It's going to come up and it's going to push you back on that old pattern, that old neural pathway, that old way of thinking or speaking to yourself because it's so familiar and it believes that that's true. You're not going to fool me. You really are not good enough. You can't just, you know, so we need to kind of do both. And, and that's the difference. I think a lot of people just work from the outside in with imposter syndrome. You know, and some work from the inside out, but 
I, I'm not aware of anyone that is taking this approach where they say we need to do both in tandem to really shift this. And you can. And the, the goal is to get into what I referred to at the, in the beginning of this, this podcast is the healthy zone where all of these feelings, fear, doubt, comparison, even stress. Did you know stress can be good? Did you know that there is good stress that is brain building and enhancing for our lives in the healthy zone? So all of these things are good when they're in that healthy adaptive zone. We're human beings. We we have these for a reason. You know, I fear is our great protector. I already said doubt is our great discernment muscle. Comparison, how do we know who we are if we don't know who we aren't? Stress gets us out of bed in the morning. It gives us a shot of adrenaline. It helps us push outside of our comfort zone, in the healthy zone. So these aren't necessarily bad things. We just have to, we don't want the tail to wag the dog. We need to get a hold of them. Yeah. Versus them getting a hold of us. Right. So much uh, good information there. The the things that we that become habit or that we do automatically is I've understood is the automatic mind. And then the unconscious mind is what is programmed from early childhood. And like you say, it can be from parents, it can be from experiences. And when those things become uh, an, a loop or a neuro linguistic or an, a, like a, a neural loop, then, right. then we fall back into them, just like you're saying. So you need to get to the core of it and, and reprogram it, right? That's what you're, yeah. And, and the other way that we've often as homeopaths, we look at it as all of this is like wearing a pair of glasses that, you know, those glasses make us look at the world in a certain way. But if we take the glasses off a reprogram, we suddenly see the world completely differently. Yes, it is all about perspectives broadening our perspectives and seeing our blind spots, mm-hmm. right? And we yeah. need help with that. Blind spots are blind spots. We all have them. Right. Yeah. We, we're blind to them. So we need help with that. We yeah. need help with that. And, um, they, and they remain hidden for a reason because they're protecting us, right? Yeah, they can be. Um, it, and sometimes that is that they, they, our subconscious mind will sometimes hide something for us, tuck it away because it's overwhelming. So for a small child with an adverse event, their little brains may not be quite developed enough. They're not ready to deal with it. It doesn't mean that it should never be dealt with, however. And so when that gets tucked away for too long, that's actually becomes adverse or maladaptive. Um, right. Um, and sometimes we're an adult, but the trauma, something happened that was just too much to handle. And so our mind does try to protect us and tuck it away. But it's really never meant to be forever. Because, and I know you you know this, this is your, you know, this is what you have dedicated your life to. And this is what your listeners care about is when you tuck these emotions away, when you suppress them, when you're suppressing emotion, they don't really get suppressed, do they? They just get delayed or they come out in a different way. They can come out through, you know, um, disease, dis-ease. You're not at ease and your body will show you that, right? They can come out through anger outbursts or these maladaptive behaviors that are self-sabotaging. They come out because Emotions are our language. Emotions are meant to be expressed, not repressed. And by the way, they're neither good nor bad, in my opinion. This is me talking. Um, in my opinion, opinion uh, emotions are neither good or bad. I don't think we should call them good or bad. 
They just are because we all have all of them. We all have shame. We all have blame. We all have guilt. We all have judgment. We have loneliness, fear, happiness, joy. And they have a vibrational frequency. Now we're getting into a little bit of the energy of emotions, but they're tangible. We know this, right? It's not woo-woo because you say, ooh, this feels really heavy. Oh, I feel so light, right? Or I could catch cut that tension with a knife. So emotions actually carry a frequency and the heavier, lower vibrational emotions are things like sadness, loneliness, shame, blame, anger, and the higher emotions that feel lighter, higher vibrational emotions are happiness, joy, peace, tranquility, hope, right? So we know this. And so it's like a symphony within us. And hopefully we start to get more used to being in those higher frequencies, but we are human. So if you think, oh, I'm not that angry person, that was always me. I'm not an angry person, but that anger is there for a reason. It needs to be expressed. And if you express it, guess what? You can let it go. You don't have to hold on to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I I really think what you're saying is that they're neither good or bad is really important because we do need to experience the whole octave. Right. And, and it's just a matter of not getting stuck in one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I deal a lot with self-sabotage as well. And I do a whole mastermind around this and I'll tell you, stuck is only, um, stuck should really be a temporary um, experience. When somebody is really, really stuck, it means there's more going on below the surface, more that's feeding that stuckness. It's not just um, a momentary pause, like I need to figure this out or I need more information. And so really being stuck requires, Asking for help, looking for blind spots, uncovering to discover and being open, being open because you know what? Change isn't easy, but it's so transformative. Hmm. Yeah. And, and so that's the number one, the most important open, open is the most important thing because if if you say yes i want to change my pathways or and see them then then there's the possibilities of things changing yes oh absolutely 100% i mean i'm witness to this all the time you know and it's the it's what they call the growth mindset i'm sure you work with the growth mindset jane it's you know things are not black and white You know, when somebody says, oh, it's just the way I am. Well, you know what? I believe what I believe. I can't change that. That is a belief in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So what what, what I ask people is, is there even a sliver of possibility? So for example, if it's you're working with your, your clients, right? And they have a particular you know, health concerns that are are showing up and they just want to take a pill for an ill. And you say, is there a sliver of a um, possibility that there could be some emotions um, that have been suppressed or something under the surface that could be contributing to this, even a sliver. And mm-hmm. if they will allow a sliver of possibility, that possibility can grow because that's all you need. And possibility leads to probability and probability leads to, I like to believe, inevitability. Yes, beautiful. So you specialize in imposter syndrome and have have written a book on it. How do you, how do you, again, get people to like, should we go back to the seven archetypes? So, because we're all, we probably all experience it differently. 
Yeah. And it's interesting. I'll tell you about my seven archetypes. And I will tell you that within these seven archetypes, it's not like you choose one or the other. You may experience all of them Mm. in different ways. I know I did. So as I was putting these together, I was listening to my clients and I was doing these focus groups and I was looking at my my own experiences and realizing that, wow, you know, these are all showing up for me. Um, so there are seven. There's actually a woman, Dr. Valerie Young, who wrote a book called The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women. She came up with, I think it was five competency types and and some of them are similar and a couple of them actually three of them um really inspired um, a few of mine so i do want to mention that um so let me take you through the let me just take you quickly through the seven so there's the perfectionist we talked about that earlier right and there are actually three types of perfectionism the self-critical right we're critical of ourselves the other oriented perfectionist who's critical of others. And then there's the socially conditioned perfectionist, right? So that that often comes from the environment. It could be family, culture, a little bit of both, the, the workplace. Um, it could be a particular profession. There's the lone ranger. You might think of this almost like the soloist, right? Or Dr. Young calls it hers, the rugged individualist. And the lone ranger feels like they need to go it alone. They feel like if they ask for help, someone may figure out that they're not good enough. Then there's the people pleaser. We talked about the people pleaser. And really the people pleaser is like a toxic giver. Um, It goes way beyond just being nice or wanting to help others. So the problem with people pleasing is we don't set boundaries. We put ourselves last in our own life. And honestly, we really look at ourselves and we're honest with ourselves. We end up feeling resentful. We feel like a victim. And then there's the savior. That's the person that's always rescuing everyone. See, I think I told you my dad was a savior, right? And he would always want to come to everyone's rescue. But that was his validation. That was his validation. And I became the rescuer. And I can even see some of that in my son. We need that validation. Like, okay, I can take care of it. And in really maladaptive way, the savior can actually look for people or projects to save or even create chaos so they can come to the rescue. And then there's this superhero we talk about it. Think of it almost like the warrior. I'm gonna, I'm gonna really um you know, I'm I'm the superhuman one. Forget it. If 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 others think it can't be done, I'm gonna show you you're wrong. I can do it. And superheroes, you know, they'll often just do two or three times the amount of work that others. They keep putting more and more and more on their plate. I can do it. You know, I'm you know, I'm the superhero. Creates tremendous tremendous pressure and overwhelm and their internal expectations are really really um way too high they set the bar too high and then there's the master dr young calls hers the expert and this is the person that's always chasing expertise they need just one more degree one more certification to be quote unquote good enough um, and then there's one that was really inspired by Dr. Young's work. This is the one that I didn't have a name for it. I had written down the the different behavior types um, because I saw them not only in myself, but in my clients. And this is the prodigy. She calls hers the natural genius. And this is the person that feels like they need to go from zero to hero or beginner to mastery immediately. There's no learning curve. It's kind of like that beginner that feels like they must have imposter syndrome because they're not already a master, you know, because when you're on that learning curve, you are going to slip. It is a learning. It's called a learning curve for a reason, right? We need to not even perfect. I don't like that term, perfect our craft, but we need the experience and we need to learn. 
So, you know, the prodigy will often quit too quickly if things don't come easily. They'll just take themselves out of the running and they'll give themselves a good excuse, a good story for that. So those are the seven. And how was that landing, Jane? Well, I can see how 85% of the population falls. (laughs) (laughs) And I can see how you see a bit of yourself in in each of them. But once you like, once you understand, I know the, you know, the prodigy, that's, that's hard for an adult, right? We think we should be able to perfect things very quickly and, and look or sound really good at it. But if you think of how you were as a kid and it took you 10 years to ever become really good at piano or soccer or any of those things, like once you once you realize or go back to being a child, you're like, oh, I've got to give myself some time. But it's hard to, yeah. you know, to go through the not looking yeah. <laughs> like well, the- I'll give you another example. Like um I have a client. Actually, he was on one of my panels that I I ran, um, and he um, he said that when he was young, his stepfather used to really praise him when he excelled, and when he didn't excel, he would say nothing. He would it would almost like he it was almost like he didn't exist, <laughs> right? He didn't abandon him, but it felt like abandonment, yeah. and so. He really found by looking at his behaviors that he'd only go for things that he was really good at, that he felt like he could get a level of mastery very, very quickly, or he didn't even try because this idea of being kind of almost ghosted, right? Mm -hmm. For being human and learning was too much. So for people that are experiencing this, I just expect. I would encourage you to take on things that are hard for you, that are different, that are out of your comfort zone and out of your genius zone. So for example, if you're not good at puzzles, do puzzles and do puzzles anyway, right? Do difficult puzzles or try something. If you always said, I'm not creative, I could never do that. I could never paint or whatever. Go get an easel, (laughs) get some paints and start painting. You don't have to show it to anyone. Just start to build that muscle of learning. Watch the videos, you know, as examples. I'm just giving you a few examples. You don't need to go out and become a rocket science. You don't need to do something that, you know, it's nice to do something that interests you, but you've stayed away from because you didn't think you were good enough because at least there's a passion for that. Ooh, I love art. I'd always love, I always love to do that, but I'm sure I'm terrible at it. That's what I did. Yeah. That's what I did, you know? So I enrolled myself in a a lesson. And after a couple of lessons of learning how to use the paints and the brushes and a few tips, I started getting easels and just painting away. <laughs> right. And it's good for a couple of reasons because it, it teaches you again how to learn and be kind to yourself along the way. Because we will avoid those things, won't we? But yes. And but secondly, it develops more neural pathways. So we're teaching our brain to continue to yes. evolve and just become something new all the time, right? Absolutely. And by the way, if you don't know what to pick, try golf. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that will be mine then. I've never played golf. <laughs> I'll tell you what I'm that one's challenging and I I laugh because I'll do I'll do talks on you know reducing stress and you show we we as women you know what is stress reduction we want to go sit by the ocean or go to the spa men they go out on the golf course and I think and women do too but I think how is that stress relieving (laughs) And for the most part, everyone else is better at it. So it's good practice. (laughs) Exactly. So once we realize these things, how do we, how do we, I find laughter helps me if I just laugh at myself and, you know, because that brings you back to that inner child again. Mm. It takes some of the pressure off and you like just realizing that there are all these ways that we manage to 
put ourselves into the imposter box. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. look at look at children. If you can't remember yourself as a child, look at the way children learn when they're really young before anyone's giving them grades yeah. or gold stars or telling them if it's good or bad. Look at the way they learn, right? They're just curious. They enjoy the process. They fall, they get back up. They put the wrong shape in the wrong hole and they try again, mm-hmm. right? It's exactly what you said. I mean, I do too. I I just laugh. I'm like, oh, made a mistake on that slide. I used to be the worst kind of perfectionist, by the way. So if I make a grammatical mistake or I, and my parents were always correcting my grammar, always, Oh, it was so annoying. And I had to teach myself not to do that to other people um, because that was my model. But um, I, you know, if I make a grammatical mistake or I spell something wrong or I made a, make a mistake on a slide, I mean, my first thought is, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word, uh, 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 but, um, <laughs> but then, but then I push myself right away into the healthy zone and I laugh. So it's not the first response. It's how long you stay in that. It's that you kick yourself back into the healthy zone. You go, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. You know what? I sent that to, that email to the wrong person. It is what it is. It's done. I, I don't know a human on the planet that hasn't done that sometime, you know, or whatever it is, you know, the text, the wrong text yeah. to the wrong person or and the, the magic of it is that it connects you, it connects us to everyone else because none of us can be perfect. Exactly. Right? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, well, maybe there's someone out there. <laughs> Except you. Except you. <laughs> but it's it's actually such a relief, isn't it? And it connects mm-hmm. us to each other because we always look at people that, you know, that we think are perfect. And and that, and it probably again comes from our parents, but then that stops us from just like you say, trying new things or doing uh, doing things that we could make a mistake at because we don't want to be judged and we don't want to be put down, but it comes from that childhood perspective, right? It does. It does. And one thing I'd like to just really kind of say is our parents were just people too. They were Mm -hmm. just humans. They didn't know. And sometimes it wasn't them. It was just our perception. And if you're out there listening and and you're a parent, don't overthink this. Just do your best with what you know and marinate your child with love. And, you know, I, I think, you know, it. I've seen this happen where we kind of start to go back into our own childhoods and we can see how we got some of our maladaptive behaviors and, you know, set a lot of them, not all, get tied to our the parenting but they had parents too. Yeah. They were children too. And their parents had parents and they were the generational thing and life was so different on the outside. And so ultimately we're all just human having a human experience. And anybody that's tuning into a show like yours is pretty evolved is what I would guess. Yeah. So able to just see that we're just human. And and in that comes forgiveness for ourselves and for mm. our parents and our teachers. And, you know, because yeah. yeah, it's all learning, right? Yeah. And think about the word forgive. It's for give, to give. You're giving mm. somebody the gift of forgiveness and you give yourself that. I think sometimes we forget to forgive ourselves. Yeah. So the the one final thing is to realize too, and you talk about this, is that this could be sabotaging us from becoming or growing or being our best self. Mm, yes. You know, it is probably one of the highest search terms, I think, out there, self-sabotage. And um, and the, the different ex- 
experiences that go along with it. I have a whole voyage past self-sabotage that I do. And it's, it, it, it shows up. It shows up as procrastination. We're, you know, to, letting ourselves, letting life pass us by with distractions, right? We, we put ourselves last on our own life list with the people pleasing, you know? So self-sabotage is just, just huge. And when we can get past that, when we can get past the self-sabotaging behaviors, you know, our world changes, our world changes, you know, if it's an entrepreneur that's just trying to build their business and make more money and attract their dream clients, suddenly they're doing it because they're doing those things that they used to put off, you know, because now they don't have that self-limiting belief of not good enough or not worthy or not deserving. So it's interesting with the voyage past self-sabotage, I don't call it about imposter syndrome, but we actually go through that. You know, one of the, one of the big things, sorry, did I cut you off? One of the big Mm -mm. things that helped me was to realize that the unconscious mind acts much quicker than the conscious mind. And that's often to save our life, right? So that, Mm. you know, if, if a scary animal comes from the side, we react very quickly, but what I found is that the unconscious mind is bubbling up. We have these instant reactions. And if I just count to even five seconds and talk to myself with the conscious mind, that I can completely uh, break down or what, what's the word? Like, I won't react in the same way because I've had a chance to see it with a different perspective. Yeah. You know, I call that practicing the pause. Yes. Practicing the pause. And you you can train yourself. This is a pattern. So this is not so much reprogramming, but repatterning yourself. And you train yourself to take that pause no matter what. And the way to get there is to do it when it's there's nothing big happening. It's not consequential. You train yourself to pause. Somebody asks you, you want to go to a movie? And your first thought, you're thinking, ah, definitely. Of course, I'm in. But you pause, hmm. you know, and you wait. What would you like for dinner? You know, you pause. Mm-hmm. And you start to practice the pause so that the pause is just the way you roll. That way, when something is really triggering and it catches you and your unconscious mind wants to react versus respond, you're conditioned to pause. And then you can actually get, because that's emotional, that first unconscious piece it's like um i I attribute it to or i think a good um analogy is lightning and thunder it's the lightning the lightning comes first right and then we hear the thunder after so think of the lightning as the emotion and the thunder is the cognition the lightning comes in that's our emotion it wants to respond or react And the cognition kind of comes in as a rumble a little bit later. And so we need to let the thunder catch up. Sometimes it comes in pretty quickly and sometimes it takes longer. Let it take whatever it needs. Yeah. Just let that cognition meet the emotion. And that is really, really powerful. Yeah. And then, you know, you can, like you say, you can use it in times that are more tension and it becomes more automatic, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's interesting to experience the first few times. Yeah. Like why didn't someone teach me this early on? It's, it's so interesting to have that conversation within yourself and react differently. Yeah. 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 Cause we've always had the gut off the shoulder reactions, right? It's like when we've been triggered by our well, teenage daughters or <laughs> oh my gosh I had a teenage son but yeah teenagers um yeah I am um, yeah and I think that it's more than learning it we can learn but we need to practice we need to have our own yeah. experience with that yeah beautiful <clears throat> any last words that you know you can leave us with. And then I want you to share how people can find more of what you're teaching. Absolutely. Well, let me share that first. Um, 
That's really easy if you know how to spell my name. So you can look in the show notes, but my first name is Cheryl with an S, S H E R Y L. And Jeanette is A N J A N E T T E. So my website is CherylAnnJeanette.com. My Instagram is at CherylAnnJeanette. LinkedIn has a hyphen. So it's at Cheryl hyphen and Jeanette. I do a lot, um, especially on LinkedIn, also about burnout. So I also have another company called Reimagine and we work with workplace uh, type of programs and burnout. Um, and so that's really the easiest way to find me. And if you go to my website, there's actually, um, there are a couple of quizzes. You might want to take one or even both. One is a quiz on imposter syndrome. So I'd really encourage you to take that. And the other quiz is on self-sabotage. So those are kind of fun, but also really interesting. And you'll get some really good feedback. And and if I can, you know, the message I'd like to leave, leave everyone with is this. Um, I imagine that you tuned into this particular podcast because either you're experiencing imposter syndrome or you know someone that does, or perhaps, perhaps both. And so let me just remind you that you are good enough. You are worthy. You are deserving. Your voice matters and you matter. Beautiful. And then everything else will just happen, right? (laughs) It's quite amazing. Yes. Yes, you're so powerful. You're so powerful. There's only one you. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Cheryl. I I learned and I have such gratitude for what you're bringing to this world. Mm, Thank you, Jane. And thank you for all that you do. I mean, I'm a big fan. Thanks. And remember, don't give away your power to anyone else. Be the creator of your own life. You can find more inspiring episodes on 14 different platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and EmpoweredHealth.com. Be a part of Thrive Tribes. Be the change in Thrivolution at ThriveTribeHub.com. And join me and my fellow change makers at Health Tribe, Body, Mind, and Soul on Facebook. Spiral up, spiral out.